Hello and welcome to Open School of Business. My name is Anar Umurzakova and I'm your host and I'm very excited to share this episode with you today. Today we had three guests on one interview and it's all about how to create engaging conversations and content for anyone who's interested in growing their audience through podcasting, YouTubing, or any other social media. So please tune in and enjoy this incredible discussion that we had. My name's James Mulvaney. I'm founder of podcast.co and also radio.co, which are both platforms in the online broadcasting and podcasting space. Uh, more recently, we launched a service called matchmaker.fm, which is a platform to connect podcasters with guests. Um, so I've been involved in the online broadcasting and streaming world probably for about 15 years now, um, since I was a wee nipper. And, <laughs> and basically, uh, you know, I've always, I've always loved audio. I've always loved radio. And I think audio is a great tool for communication. And I'm really passionate about helping others to communicate using audio. Yeah, my name is uh, Liesl Riddle. I am the Associate Dean for Graduate Programs at the George Washington University in the School of Business. And we just recently launched a podcast called GWSB, so George Washington School of Business, a GWSB Proud. Um, and we really decided to create this particular podcast to create an opportunity for our different stakeholders, whether they be alumni, faculty, staff, or students, to really kind of talk about what the experience is like, you know, what the authentic experience is like being part of the GW community, both on campus and in the virtual world, and to really kind of paint that picture of the experience for our current students and incoming students, as well as our alumni. Hey, my name is Belinda Kendall, and I'm CEO and founder of Promise Media Network, a media group, I'm sorry. Um, so what my company does now is that we go out and buy radio stations that are existing, showing a profit, but in a small town. So we're in a merger now, getting ready to buy about 30 radio stations by the end of the year to create a larger platform for people that normally wouldn't have a platform. It's really exciting. And um, I want to extend uh, the first question to you because you've been involved with the community in small towns and building those communities up, uh, creating content for them, uh, sharing extraordinary stories of ordinary people. Um, and uh, the main questions I think is, how do you, how do you make those stories engaging? Uh, what are the techniques you use to uh, make sure your listeners are listening even after the ad? Because a lot of times on radio, you even have ads too. So I think it starts at birth. Uh, you have to have a gift of gab, and um, you've got to be willing to talk to people all the time, even before you get to that journey of becoming a broadcaster or a podcaster. And when you bring all of that to the table, you're able to pick up on what you want to ask. You're able to pick up on what people like, and you usually you'll find something in common. Um, what I usually do is find out what is going on in the community that is concerning everybody or everybody's aware of. And I will go to people that most people wouldn't go to and sit and ask some questions, you know, like how do you feel about this and what is going on? Um, one of the things I do and I find is key, when I do a podcast, I also do a Zoom. 
And by doing that, I'm able to read facial expressions, although you're only able to hear audio. Um, that's what makes it kind of exciting for us. And the way we keep it going on, I take to social media. And then I get social media to get involved. I hope yes. <laughs> that, that's really amazing uh, to hear because I think that's what happened um, to Liesl over here as well. I know that she's in the heart of GW School of Business, connecting with the students, with alumni, with faculty members. So uh, I'm not um, at all surprised that she's the one to start this, this podcast for the GW community uh, for the School of Business. Um, but also, I have a question for her. Uh, what have inspired you to start this podcast? And what techniques do you personally use to create engaging conversations and to grow the popularity of your podcast? I think it's a really great question. I mean, uh, I think one of the, the reasons why I started this podcast, honestly, is you know, where I sit in our organization is a really unique space because I do get in touch with and spend lots of time with different stakeholders for the School of Business that don't necessarily always get a chance to be in the same room with one another. And I wanted, I get to experience this incredible sense of community. Um, and I wanted to be able to share that um, with uh, all the different stakeholders so that they could begin to see the organization in a more holistic, organic, sort of an ecosystem kind of way, which is the way I see it and the way I experience it. So in many ways, it's kind of my way of sharing my own social reality from my space in the organization um, with others and to try to bring everyone closer together in a sense of pride um, of, who we, of who we are. Um, things that I've been trying to do, although I think I have a, a lot to learn since I'm new in this space, to make things really exciting um, is I do really try to spend a lot of green room time with whomever I'm going to interview ahead of time um, to really, and what I do in those, in that is that I do give them a set of questions for, so that they can sort of prepare some thoughts. But honestly, what I do in the background is I create a concept map. So I kind of take from the con conversation I had with that person on the phone or on, the, on, on Zoom and the questions that I've given them, and I kind of lay out a concept map of where that conversation might organically go. Because what I think is really fantastic about this medium is the more authentic feel of, of painting a social context of just having a conversation about it. And I feel like if we go through a stilted script, we might as well just do like a video commercial for the university. But here, I really love being able to just kind of get my, the person I'm interviewing to kind of relax and just have a, tell a story. Um, and I do that by not asking them exactly in the order, right, of the questions that they've given me. And instead, I stay within that context, but I try to have a more natural conversation. So far, it's worked. I think, you know, I think in many ways, sometimes that does leave, take somebody aback, right? Uh, it even takes me aback, like, what am I gonna ask next? But again, I think it's also sort of authentic conversation. And I, I hope that it tries to paint a more realistic sense of the space and the people involved as opposed to just a flat out commercial. Right. Uh, I love that because um, I think a lot of times when, when you hear the podcast that either spontaneous or, or if they're by script with the same questions, you can see that you can hear the difference. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for universities especially, it, it's very important because 
uh, like you said, um, the sense of community has to be felt. So you're actually serving them the internal function of mm -hmm. uh, of seeing themselves as a whole. Um, so it's on top of the benefit of promoting the school uh, externally. You're also making it more comfortable for the stakeholders to connect with each other because mm -hmm. they already have the context and they know stories of certain people and, and that creates more connections, uh, more questions and follow-ups and people can create more projects on top of these um, connections that they built. Um, I just wanted to share a, a small story of how people are connecting through Open School of Business podcast. And this was exactly my goal when I started it. I wanted my network that is from different areas to be able to find each other by hearing each other's stories and then finding something that would resonate with them and being able to uh, create more collaborations and, and more interesting uh, either startups or just projects. So um, like, for example, a lot of the guests uh, on Open School of Business are also GW faculty or alumni because I also <laughs> finished uh, GW. And also there are um, some portion that I have never met uh, and I found them through the matchmaker.fm. And that's thanks to James here. Um, it's, it's amazing because uh, that's a different type of context uh, uh, altogether. Because when you know the person you work with them, you know the things that you want to highlight. You know their challenges that you want to share with the world that would be a great lesson learned. Uh, but when you meet someone for the first time and all you see is their incredible resume, which they build themselves, you know, you want to make it more interesting. So like you said, having a greeting room before the Zoom is very important to get to know the person and ask some of the inconvenient questions. Because sometimes I think those are the ones that engage the listeners because uh, we're all very used to hearing success stories and and great um, stories on TV and everywhere. So um, being able to see how the person reacts to these inconvenient questions, and then from their permission mm -hmm. to take it live, I think that also helped me to create some of the more interesting episodes. Um, I want to uh, now turn to James because uh, he's got all the data and statistics on the popular podcasters and uh, from your experience, what do they do? Um, this is an interesting question, isn't it? What makes a good podcast? And I think um, some of the points that have already made, uh, been raised about building community and having authentic communications are partially or, or you know, mainly actually the reason why the mediums become so successful in recent years. Um, this is a question I get asked a lot is like, you know, what's the secret behind building a big audience or, you know, how can I, how can I make my podcast really successful? And I, I wish it was that easy to answer because I think if there was like a magic bullet, everyone would be using it. And of course, the reality of the situation is, you know, unless you have um, a de decent sized pre-existing audience, 
which might be great for, for something like, you know, in the example, a, a university, you've already got lots of students, you've got uh, lots of staff on, on site working there already. So you kind of already got an audience that you can launch that podcast to. Um, but for people who are starting from scratch and they want to reach an audience, I think the key thing to do is decide who, first and foremost, who your audience actually going to be. You know, why are you doing this podcast and what is the, the value or the purpose of the podcast in terms of, you know, from the listener's perspective? Um, I think too many people go into it without thinking about that um, and without having kind of a clear strategy in, in place. So that's kind of my tip. Number one is, is make sure that you start with a strong strategy and really firm idea of who your audience is going to be. Um, Next up is making sure that you are providing value in each episode. So, you know, you're not just waffling on about nonsense. If you're, especially if you're creating a podcast to, to promote a business or a product or a service, you need to make sure that you're answering questions that people either have, your, your, your prospects or your customers um, or, or your st stakeholders if you're doing like an internal podcast. And, and we'll make sure that, you know, you're being consistent as well. You know, if you're going to release an episode once a week, make sure you get that episode out once a week and make sure it's released according to a consistent schedule. And I think, you know, going back to being authentic is really important as well. You know, I think people like listening to conversations. You should always talk to the listener as if it was just you and them. Um, or, you know, if you're having a conversation with someone else, just try and keep it natural. Like I think uh, you, you made a good point earlier, you know, if you script it too much or if you ask the same questions again and again in each episode, uh, listeners will soon fatigue and get bored. So I think trying to create content that's fresh and unique each time and tailor your questions to that specific guest, you know, finally have a few that you might fall back on because sometimes when you're what I found is when you're interviewing certain people, the conversation can run dry at points. So it's always good to have you know, a few questions bank just to kind of fire off if, if things do kind of go a bit quiet. Um, but I do think, you know, you should try and tailor the questions specifically to the guests you're talking to. Um, and then when it comes down to sort of promoting it, you know, social media is a great, great tool. Obviously, you need to be making sure that you're releasing your episodes out on social media. If you've got an email list, send out an email and then there's a new episode live because not everyone will be downloading or subscribe to your podcast. And sometimes, People have got 10 to 10 or 20 different subscriptions to other podcasts. So it's quite easy to miss an episode. So um, it's important to, to remind people when a new episode is out and then also sell, sell the value of that episode. So when an episode comes out, you know, pick out two, three, four key points of what the person will learn when they listen to that episode. And that's really important. You know, why should they devote half an hour of their time to listen to that episode? And if you can kind of summarize that in your marketing, it gives people a reason to then go and listen to it. Right. That, that's an amazing point there. Uh, selling in uh, social media through little uh, snippets of uh, what's about to happen or yep. the summary. Mm -hmm. uh, are there any specific advice do you have uh, for social media content uh, creation and also just, you know, to make sure that you are consistent um, among all the platforms? Yeah, I mean, we have um, an integration with a platform called Headliner on podcast.co, which makes it really easy to create small video snippets. So you can kind of cut out, you know, quotes from your episode that you think might be of interest for, for you know, for people and uh, maybe limit them to sort of 30 seconds. Little, little gold nuggets, the little highlights, if you like, you know, turn them into short form videos with some animated text over the top, because obviously remember a lot of people are flicking through their feed and they'll have it muted by default. So, you know, having having that kind of um, subtitle text can be really useful. I think also um, extracting your script or your sort of transcription from the podcast 
and actually looking at what is being said and actually just taking out quotes can be quite useful as well. You can even then turn that into a blog post or an article. Um, it's just about trying to repurpose your content and just be as savvy as possible to save yourself time. Um, uh, you know, because a podcast doesn't have to just live in audio form, you know, you can, you can create videos from it. Again, I tend to try and film episodes or if you're doing a zoom call, you can record it. Um, it just gives you more to work with then. All right. I think it's very, um, interesting part that you were talking about making the snippets of the video, um, uh, transcribing it, uh, doing so many different marketing activities, right? Yes. And podcast.co um, has a lot of capabilities of doing it automatically for you if you're alone, uh, if you're just a startup uh, podcaster. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious about um, the teams that work on university podcasts and the radio podcast. Um, is it usually uh, how many people usually get involved? What kind of help do you get? Or is it mostly just you and your team how does it work usually in terms of because there's a lot of work you need to do prior the podcast then hosting and then you know definitely post-production and marketing so talking about, yeah winter <laughs> yeah sure to go first <laughs> i'm sorry go ahead no no go ahead no. <laughs> so uh there you go. That's authentic conversation, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And at, at GW, we have kind of two different teams that get involved with this in addition to me. So, you know, I'm usually the one sort of sourcing the talent and in um, interviewing pre-screening pre and, and, and interviewing into the actual conversation. But all the background stuff, all the technical pieces of putting that podcast together, especially now that we're kind of, uh, we don't do a video piece, it's just all audio. And so we're using task cams and mixing sound um, and, and whatnot, and then and placing it on the podcast. That is all done by our instructional design team. So the same people that are actually bringing us our online courses, our top ranked online programs at GW, uh, we actually build a lot of podcast series into our actual courses that we teach. So podcasting is a skill that uh, the instructional design team uh, already had sort of capability for. So I just sort of squeezed in the production schedule, uh, the GWSB Proud podcast. But then we have a marketing comm team, right, as every university does. And then they're really the ones that help push this on, you know, on social um, and keep it up on the website and other media. Right. So it's great that you had all the infrastructure in place and all the resources. But even so, with that timeline, uh, how long did it take you to, um, from your idea of let me have this podcast for the GW community to the day when you launched it and it was live on Apple and the rest? Well, I think our timeline is probably a bit deceiving just because it wasn't sort of, there were so many other sort of priorities. And I will say it was something that we did. And then by the, it, it took a while to actually get it launched. But I'll tell you what I think is really great about that is that we banked lots of interviews, right? So that we're not under pressure every single week if something is going on or like this, we're getting ready to do orientation this weekend and, and start our new season in this very unusual academic year. It's great to have a couple of those banks. You know, we can just sort of post them and, and go forward. So, and I would really recommend that for anybody starting a podcast, unless you're really doing a podcast focused exactly on current events, it's certainly nice to have some, you know, ready to go off the, off the shelf that are sort of evergreen and timeless. 
Right. I think it's amazing. Um, and I'm really, like you say, GW proud <laughs> that GW is one of the first uh, universities uh, that launched the podcast. And uh, I'm sure uh, the alumni are also very excited about it. So I'm looking at this as a showcase um, and a case study for other universities who would like to do the same. And I'm sure they will have a very similar uh, kind of infrastructure and similar uh, schedules to worry about. So this is a great example of how universities can uh, unite together and see themselves as a whole and have better interaction, plus more um, promotion for the future students. So yeah, I think so. I mean, I think really nice. other universities have used podcasts, but, you know, what I think is interesting is that they are using that medium to bring in expertise, right, which is also a very great way to kind of use, think about podcasts of sourcing some of your faculty expertise, some of your alumni expertise on a topic. Then you can use it in the classroom, but then it also helps build the brand for being sort of a center of excellence and learning. And, and at GW, in the School of Business, we actually sort of dividing our media choices in that way, which I think is an interesting, uh, interesting decision. We already have a live sort of talk show that runs every week during the academic year called George Talks Business. And that streams live on YouTube and Facebook as well as on our website. And that's where we bring in our expertise, right? And that, that is really more about um, bringing in people from our community to speak on a certain topic. This podcast that I've created is really more an internal look, right? It's to create community. So it's the different purposes and how universities might be using podcasts for different audiences, um, as James was mentioning, and sort of different intents, I think is interesting. Yeah, I, I can see that uh, how it's different because the format is completely different. Mm -hmm. And I, I personally love George uh, Speaks Business myself, and especially when it was live and face to face. So I can't wait until uh, we can come back to that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Belinda, can you um, now share your story about um, how it's usually done during uh, at uh, radio teams and uh, the teams that are more established? So it was like um, a default. I've had no other choice but to result to podcasts after COVID. Um, and I, I think that the thing is, is that a lot of people are very quick to give up because this is where we are now. Where a lot of us are having to do podcasts. A lot of us are having to do Zoom. Um, so with me, it was very easy. I, I don't have a you know, this wonderful story that in the end, everybody wins. And I've done radio for several years, so it was kind of easy. I think now the biggest thing is, is keeping people entertained. Um, that seems to be the biggest problem now, is keeping people entertained. But I had everything in place to do a podcast. So it came very easy, very easy. Uh, so when uh, you do podcasts, do you rely more on your team or do you rely more on the technology that can be um, acquired through the platforms that host your podcast and websites and stuff like that? So I kind of rely on the technology because there isn't a team. It's me.com, you know, mm -hmm. so there right, isn't right. a team. So um, I kind of rely mostly just on myself. 
you know, I have a team as far as sending in people to interview agencies in New York, um, in California, but other than that, it's just me. And um, it's like, I don't, I don't have the experience they have as far as talking about the structures and the infrastructures. It's just me and my little good old laptop and iPhone. So that's, um, that's how I get it done. I think uh, exactly that, that's the reason why you could tell us, uh, you know, step by step for podcasters who are starting out, uh, what are the things that they absolutely need to get right to make sure their listeners, um, that they find their listeners? I think they have to stay consistent. I think one of the biggest problems is a lot of people will start out and they'll say, you know, this week I only had three people or next week I only had four people and they give up. You just got to stay consistent. Um, finding those subjects that people want to talk about um, is very easy. Um, I would say stay away from a lot of political things. You can lose some people in that. People will say one thing, but they really feel another. Um, finding ordinary people. Uh, doing extraordinary things. And I agree with him when he said is that presence on social media, you got to have a picture, you got to have a video, you got to have something because people just scroll through verbiage. They won't even look at it. Um, so I guess it's just finding that subject in the community or in the world that's going on. And you'll be surprised how many people are open to have a podcast conversation with you that you may think is untouchable, but they're really easy to contact. So that would be my, my advice. Right. So um, um, what you are saying is that if you actually uh, attract a, a speaker that's popular, that's going to bring the audiences. That'll bring more people. That would right. definitely bring more people. And you've um, got to um, do a lot on social media. Like, you know, you and I both, my LinkedIn, some of my posts get up to six, seven million views. So one of the things I do is when I'm asked to be a part of a podcast or an interview or a Zoom interview, I always post it on my LinkedIn a month before I even do it. And it starts gaining momentum and people start looking forward to the show. So that social media is very key, very key. Because I think we're going to be home for a while. So people, that's their Bible. Right. And I think that, like, I really love the uh, part where you say months before you have an event, you need to prepare for it and make sure that there is a buzz around it. Exactly. And then it will be more, uh, it will gain more momentum and more exactly. listenership. Especially um, on Facebook, make it your story. When you make it your story, it's the headline to everybody's Facebook page. And that will definitely bring the noise, I like to say. <laughs> right. Um, that's, that's really great. Uh, and uh, we have covered what you can do with a team and what you can do uh, if you're um, an independent podcaster. Mm -hmm. So uh, I want to go back to James um, and ask him if there are any recent developments in the landscape of podcasting and content creation that um, our audience should be aware of and that we can take advantage of? Good question. I think um, obviously it's just become a lot more accessible to over the past sort of two, three years. I think the platform is really reserved for enthusiasts. If you kind of rewind 10 years, obviously now everyone can listen to podcasts. So you have access to a much wider audience than you, you did before. Um, 
and more and more people are getting tuned into the idea of listening to podcasts as an alternative to maybe watching Netflix or um, listening to the radio. So there is a, a wider audience there. In terms of developments, I think it's interesting having the sort of watch um, over the past couple of years, some of the big players like Spotify have invested a huge amounts of money in adding podcasts into their platform and Spotify, you couldn't listen to podcasts on Spotify even just two years ago. So it's really been like the last year and a half where they've been going full throttle. Um, Google have sort of woken up to what's going on in the podcasting world as well, which is great. So they're showing podcast results more naturally as part of the sort of search results, which I think is great. So if you're going to Google to maybe ask a question, not only are you seeing links to our websites, links to YouTube videos, but now you're also seeing podcasts appear as well. And I think one of the developments um, that's, that's kind of in, in a process of occurring, but I think it's going to get better and better over the next couple of years, is discoverability. Like currently to, to find podcasts, you've either got to know the name of the podcast you're looking for or look at the category. So you might head to um, Apple Podcasts, business or marketing, for example, um, and scroll down until you find something you like. I think as technology is developing, you know, using AI transcription, it's not just about like the podcast title and <clears throat> the description. Um, machines are learning more about what is actually being said in the podcast episode itself. So I think this is going to make a big difference to how people discover podcasts because currently the discoverability of podcasts isn't great. You know, again, I think Apple have rested on their laurels as somewhat, and they took it for kind of for granted that they had you know, uh, iTunes or Apple podcast as it's now known for, for many, many years, which was like the absolute go-to platform for podcasts. The user experience on them isn't great. You know, it, it, yes, they have reviews and they have it categorized, but I still think it's quite difficult to, to, to find and discover new shows. There's not really very many, there's not, for example, a recommendation ep engine and there's not um, the context between different shows. So what would be great, for example, is if you could search or if, if you knew that um, someone appeared on one episode of one show, then you could also, you know, it could also maybe present um, other episodes that they'd also appeared on. So I think things like that are going to slowly but surely improve over the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. And I think um, it's uh, some of the capabilities you're talking about are similar to YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. That's already being done. So the podcast has a bit of a disadvantage in that sense. Yeah, and interestingly, a lot of people go use YouTube to listen to podcasts, you know, so um, if you're not uploading your episodes to YouTube, that's a good tip as well, because some people just like to find and listen to podcasts on YouTube and they, they don't use Apple Podcasts or they don't use Spotify, they'll just put it on in the background as a video. You say it's because people are more visual, they have to see it and just not hear it. I think so. I think maybe sometimes it's just force of habit as well. Like people spend a lot of time on YouTube anyway um, because they're watching videos. So, it, and, and because obviously when you finish a video or if you're on a video, there's a suggested videos at the side. Uh, if you've got a podcast that ties well into a theme that's related to that video, you, you could generate additional listeners that way. Of course, it doesn't work quite the same way in terms of you can't get subscribers, but you know, it's still a platform that you should be paying attention to, I think. Right. I would like to present a question to the group. I have a lot of churches that are having no other choice but to do podcasts mm. and because of COVID-19. And they don't know how to begin. And, you know, my approach is different. So I would like your feedback on, because they'll watch this video, how do you start a podcast? And I'm 72 years old and I'm the pastor of the church. And we've got the motherboard. They want to have their announcement. I think, you know, they need a little bit more like plug it in, press on, then enter. 
you know. So how would uh, how could this help people that I know that's going to be watching that are older people, and they have no other choice but to do podcasts because they can't have church service anymore. Yeah, it's a tough one. We have um, we have many clients who are churches, both on radio and on podcast, um, and. I think you know that there is this there is a theme certainly where, as you mentioned, sometimes maybe the the person who presents is a little bit older. They're not that familiar with technology, mm-hmm. and um, you know it, it's going to be it's going to be a tough one, isn't it? Because ultimately, I think you have to have a certain grasp of the technology in order to record and edit an episode. Um, you know, th- there are services that make it easier, um, but I think ultimately. I'd say it's, I'd suggest really, you know, to try and get someone else involved who has a bit more of an idea, you know, like yes. reach out to the, to the community and find someone who's a bit of a whiz with audio editing and kind of offload the actual production side to someone else who's, who's willing to assist um, in terms of actually getting it recorded. You know, you can buy a USB microphone, which will make you sound 10 times better than your built-in microphone in your computer or laptop. Always a good investment. Doesn't cost a lot of money. You know, $50 uh, will get you something good. And I think, you know, that that's probably just a case of, you know, re- leaning on the community to, to help get things set up and organized. Right. And to follow up on that, recently I had an idea to start hosting webinars on exactly mm. how to do that, like bring oh. in a microphone, uh, set it up, um, which pr- buttons to press on the platform where you're hosting your uh, oh. podcast. And also, uh, like you said, for people who need to even to start be- to begin with, like they have no idea what exactly they need to be doing, or they know what to do and they don't have time. Uh, within the Open School of Business, um, I wanted to start a service of podcast as a package. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, for example, you know, if there are churches, they would be on a more of a discounted uh, type of package because that's you know spiritual and nonprofit, and for profit organizations can um, get a you know more premium packages. So um, this is one of the things that I am uh, launching in the future, and I'm building yeah. the team for that in terms of uh, all the editors and the marketing specialists. Um, because I have immense amount of experience that I gained myself through doing this for over a year now. Uh, but I definitely don't have time capability to help every client individually. Mm-hmm. So I want to build a team and connect them locally. For example, if there are people in uh, Carolina, the South or North Carolina, the, the churches that you're talking about locally, yes that, you know, I personally wouldn't be able to go and hook up their microphone, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm willing to uh, hire the people locally there to be their interns and, and set them up technically. And then we can do all the editing out here and upload to the uh, web. So uh, this is one of That'll the things good. that I'm starting with the Open School of Business because I think it's just kind of grew organically yes. in, into this new idea uh, because I just started being really excited when new podcasts come up and I'm always very interested of what are they doing? Uh, what kind of help do they need? Because sometimes you see really good content 
not gaining too much traction uh, because you know the podcasters most of the time work alone and if they don't have a certain capability in marketing it's not very easy like James was saying you can't even discover the podcast without doing a lot of this pushing on social media uh, also ratings and reviews are very important uh, on Apple podcasting for example so there are many 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 things and uh, I'm very excited about this new uh, projects that I'm starting and I would be really grateful if you have any ideas or you have any clients that you want to refer mm -hmm. oh, I, I would definitely do that the spiritual issues I think are, are such a great match with this medium right because going back to what we were talking about before about the authenticity of conversation and voice when you think about especially now in the COVID environment when so many people are very atomized you know, there is a closeness of voice and especially in sharing about deep spiritual issues. I know there's a, there's a, one of our GW alum actually has launched a company called Venly, which is a podcast platform uh, for a, a wide range of sort of spiritual content. So he has, he has uh, invited, Brian Landau is the, the CEO and founder of the company, and he has invited spiritual leaders from across the, the religious spectrum to share their thoughts on themes. So, you know, you think about what do people tend to really turn to spiritual leaders for? Um, and they're all different kinds, but a lot of the themes are common, right? We, you know, when we're searching for meaning in life, when we are grieving, you know, when we have a birth of a child, when we are struggling in a relationship, you know, and so he then has sort of brought in uh, spiritual leaders to talk on those particular themes. Um, and I think, so you can, you can now search it. You can say, you know, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm in grief and I want insight from maybe different perspectives. Wow. Um, it's a really very powerful platform. And I wonder to what extent, you know, some of your spiritual leaders, you know, working with their, their immediate fellowship community might also broaden their audience right, by a platform such as this. In fact, one of the things that, that inspired Brian to create this platform was research he was doing on spirituality and the millennial generation. Mm. And it's showing that, you know, a lot of millennials were in fact very, very spiritual and, but not religion denomination specific oriented. Mm. And, and then as they have gotten older and, 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 and experienced lots of things where you would naturally want to turn to a spiritual leader or guide, getting some guidance, you know, they really don't necessarily have that if they're not going to a specific church. Right. Um, and so this platform, I think, provides that kind of go-to space, but in sort of this virtual podcast world. Right. I think now I'm that- glad you mentioned it because uh, I had an interview with Brian and um, oh. <laughs> so <laughs> episode 17, <laughs> please go over <laughs> to the, uh, your podcasting device and you can uh, hear that episode. Yeah, I, I was really, really amazed by his work. Uh, it's yeah. really inspiring. Yeah, he is an inspiring guy. I think there's going to be more and more uh, spiritual type of podcasts that are going to be needed because everybody is in like a state of the unknown. I mean, I wake up every day and like, what chapter of Revelation is going to play out today? You know, you just don't know what's getting ready to happen. So I think that platform for spiritual leaders and spiritual podcasts is 
it's going to become a very, very large platform. Um, there's just so much unknown, and it's, it's so needed uh, right now. So I think that's a good thing that he's doing because it's going to get bigger. Yes, and I, I think um, I was just um, thinking about social media recently, and uh, the idea behind a lot of the social media was to bring communities together but what's happening is when we type away in the comments, people start, um, uh, you know, <laughs> expressing their views in a way that are very unproductive and actually take each other apart, um, um, you know, making the gap wider. And I was thinking if that conversation was maybe live like where they could actually hear each other out and and be able to understand the other person that's why we have a dialogue to increase the understanding not to decrease it mm -hmm. so i was thinking if there was the ability to take that virtual forum con like commenting kind of argument into yeah. a real life kind of a zoom call would there be a different result would people leave even angrier or maybe people will leave with more understanding about what the other side is talking about? So I think you have to realize that some people look for those platforms just so they can be totally opposite. You know what I mean? And it may send a lot of confusion. I mean, you have people saying, oh, it's eight o'clock, they're getting ready to do this show. Let me just slander everybody on here. So that I think you have to take that in consideration. Some people, it's good to have that feedback, but at the same time, there are some people that just look forward to just throwing a wrench in everything. So is it really productive? Is Facebook? Yeah. Some of the comments I've seen on Facebook, I don't think people will be able to run the dog catcher, you know, next year. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah there's some pretty nasty stuff out there. But one of the things yes. I've noticed is which there's a difference between you know, I do a weekly live stream and generally every single comment on there is positive. People are asking genuine questions. People are really engaged. Occasionally, you know, when you post a video to YouTube, however, you'll get someone who's making some kind of snarky remark or whatever. So I, I think there's a bit of a difference when you're actually live and they know that you're there in like real time. <laughs> perhaps people sort of see it more like a conversation, just like we're having now versus, you know, the trolls who are hiding behind the keyboards you know, posting stuff on, you know, sending you nasty tweets or posting horrible comments on YouTube. I don't know. I think, I think, uh, you know, as a result of those platforms, obviously it kind of, it kind of cultivates that um, negativity in some respects, but then there's also lots of people who write positive comments as well. And, you know, as someone who creates content, I think, you know, when you get those positive comments, it spurs you on to keep creating and cre keep pushing new stuff out as well. And, you know, I think the same goes for, for podcasting, you know, when you read good reviews or, you know, someone will send you a message and say, you know, that episode was fantastic because, you know, I learned yeah. so much from it. You know, that's really rewarding. Yes. Yes. So, um, we're about to uh, end our uh, session today, but I think uh, one of the last questions um, <coughs> I want to, for I want for us to dream up uh, a future without limits in terms of technology. So if there were no limits, uh, how would you format, uh, how would you organize your sessions? Uh, what kind of a, um, a dream scenario for you without any limits kind of thing? 
how futuristic are we going here? Are we going with holograms? <laughs> so we actually feel like we're physically stood next to each other yeah. in the same room or? Like a hologram. <laughs> like what kind of experience would you like for your podcast to be the ideal? Well, there we go. Start with that. Yeah. How about a hologram? So you actually projected into someone's room or is that going to be a bit kind of creepy? I don't know. <laughs> That's, uh, that's cool. I mean, it's interesting because I, I looked at an events platform a while ago um, and they are claiming to sort of create a similar thing. So rather than being a kind of, you know, like we are now just faces on a screen in sort of a grid format, they actually have this kind of 3D. It's almost like going into a computer game. So they actually have like a, a 3D environment, which you can kind of you can swap seats and you can stand up and like physically move around. It's, you know, in a sort right. of virtual world. And I thought that was quite an interesting concept, but um, ultimately, you know, I looked at it as, as a tool we could use, but I just think it just felt a bit strange. It sort of felt like almost a bit unnecessary, you know, like. Mm -hmm. Do you because, have to use glasses for that? No, or no, no, it was it's just all on, on the screen. It was just on a computer, but it was just literally like built on a, a games engine. So it was a very, very, it felt exactly like a computer game. The only difference is, you know, you could have a speaker at the front giving a presentation and obviously there'd be a little 3D model of yourself, like talking away as you were talking. And you could put your, you know, your PowerPoint slide up on a big screen in this virtual room. And then obviously people could raise their hand and ask questions. So, you know, I think it was creating quite an interesting, I forget the name of the platform now, but it was creating quite an interesting environment. But like, I just thought it felt like it was a bit of a gimmick as opposed to having real use. <laughs> well, James, I don't know. See, I also think there's a generational effect here because mm. when I, I have, I have young kids, right? So I have 16 year old and 10 year old boy and, and, and both of them have grown up in the era of YouTube. I mean, like when, when they were, both of them were little, they, YouTube was like a big part of their lives. Mm. And then it morphed into these video games. And when we're talking about the Fortnite generation, right? Mm. This, they are so used to, I think, cultivating social and coordinating action in a virtual world. It's more awkward for us, even if we are video game players. I don't know if yeah. you are, James. But not really. I'm really not. And, I mean, I, I did um, play so a few games when I was younger, game. but yeah, it's just yeah. something that's never really got, got my attention. And yeah, I think yeah, video you know, games for me is like Pac-Man. So yeah. that just kind of contextualizes <laughs> it. But for my kids, I'll tell you this, like my 16 year old, met a group of boys when he was 10 mm. online playing Minecraft that he is still friends with all these years later. Oh. And I have listened to them. They discuss everything while they play video games. They talk mm. about, you know, they, they have their own podcast, right? They're talking about, you know, they talk about politics. They talk about girls. They talk about stuff happening at school as well as the game. And then they will then put that on their YouTube channel. They do a little bit less of that now than they used to when they were younger. But my point is, is that they coordinate action and plan and build and do all these amazing things together. And I just feel like there's this whole generation that has had social experience in this dimension from a very young age mm. that it's not awkward for them. And I think as they age and they want to branch out into doing more adult-like things beyond just playing games, I think... We might see some of these, like I've seen a video, I've seen a conferencing app that is similar to what I think you were just describing. It's like, here's the conference of the world. We will no longer, this makes me sad, no longer travel to the sunny beaches uh, to go to the conference. <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> true. My air quotes around that, right? But, you know, but that we actually will just sit here in our living rooms and we can walk from room to room. We can network at a table with someone you know, all that happening in sort of virtual space seems odd to me, but maybe for the Fortnite generation, we'll seem natural. Right. 
I, I yeah, want to like agree on that. I think, mm -hmm. um, especially depending on the um, sector that people work in, there are a lot of people like that in IT field. I used to work in IT and I can relate to that. Uh, but uh, I'm very curious, what's the conference app that you were talking about? I can't remember the name of it, um, but it is. It was, uh, I saw a demo of it, I think on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, it was, this is the, the conference of the future. And you could walk around, you could choose what session room you wanted to go in. Yeah. The information would appear about who was speaking and whatnot. And you could, you could go look, you could go into the ball, ballroom and you could see people around a table and just walk up to them and start talking. It's like you would at a, con or, you know, at a conference in, in physical space, so. Mm -hmm. I'm just seeing if I can find the name of it. I'm just searching through my email trying to- And then she's got me going now. Yeah, I <laughs> And I don't know if it exactly exists yet, or maybe somebody put this little video together to talk about what this is, what we were moving to that also is possible. But when I looked at it, they sort of demoed it out and I thought, wow, that is, that is something for the future. Yeah. Good and bad. <laughs> yeah. Right. That, that's so true. But it's sort of similar to what uh, we had in ancient times, the amphitheaters where people would gather together to discuss mm -hmm. the important things live. Um, and obviously with the pandemic it's no longer possible, but uh, if there was a platform that could create a similar experience, it's not bad at all. Yeah. Yeah, I think that what's, I think interesting about the future that I don't have um, any idea about what how this will work. And I feel like it, on the one hand, we had all this experience physically together. Now we're building all of these sort of adjustments and adaptations and innovations around being apart. But what happens when we go back? It, you know, assuming, and I'm 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 hopeful that we're we're going to go back to being able to be physically proximal again, but while the whole time we've been exposed to all the benefits of maybe not doing that all the time. So how does that now hybrid reality take shape? I mean, I know that a lot of universities, ours included, were trying to think that we might have that kind of reality. And there's some universities that are still operating that reality this fall, trying to create what they call high flex classrooms, right? The idea that you'd have these live stream, you know, kind of conversations going on with students that are, that are distant, and then you have the proximal students in the classroom. You know, what's interesting for us is that we kept pushing high flex, we made all these investments in high flex, and our enrollments were slightly down, at least I'm now, I'm just speaking from the, the school of business uh, standpoint. And, uh, and then it was really interesting, our university made a pivot to go all online, and then there was a rush of applications, deposits, registrations. And when in talking to a lot of students, what we realized is that they, they, while they appreciated the fact that they were gonna be able to, even in our high flex classroom, be distant and stay you know, at home, they didn't wanna be the only person or part of a subgroup that would be doing that and missing out on those that were actually there. And so that makes me question, you know, kind of where we go next step. Um, how do we create experiences that um, now that we realize the benefit of, be, of reach and, and in this case, health and safety, right, of, of being able to have this like wide reach, but then 
what is it that is really special about the, the you know, being physically present and proximal? So I don't know, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. <laughs> it sounds like a whole big uh, research project <laughs> for in anthropology and, right. and cyber Definitely. and AI and all that. That sounds really interesting to me as well, because uh, from my own experience, I found it um, that it's a lot easier to connect and rely on a relationship that started out um, you know, with a with a connection that you've um, you've established before being virtual. Um, however, that that being said, like that, I see in my work environment, right? Uh, but however, I've also met people online over this six months that um, I met them online. Uh, I continue working them with them through online. Uh, but I think it's all about the consistency of the relationship. Right. So even online, a person can disappoint you or show up for you time again and again in a consistent basis without, you know, different, um, without any weird, uh, like red flags, let's say. Then the trust builds from there. However, uh, I think what is easier to do is it's easier to forgive someone for messing up if you've met them in person before. Mm -hmm. And somehow if the online person, you met them and they've been great, but then they mess up, it's easier to say that, oh, that, that must have been a really flake and a really bad person mm -hmm. that I have never known. That's the, like, that's the difference for me, for example, I think. Uh, and when you met the person before and then they mess up somehow for you online, then it, you kind of, you know, you, you see, oh, they must have had some issue and mm -hmm. things like that. So I think our tolerance is different for the people who we meet mm -hmm. online. And that might be the reason why the students were feeling that if they didn't meet the teacher, uh, they would get mm -hmm. different treatment. <clears throat> Well, I think sadly, I was reading an article yesterday where it was a little boy doing his virtual school and his mother took a picture of it and just simple questions were being asked and he just broke down and cried. And I don't think we see, you know, how you say meeting someone in person, the difference that make and then going virtual than just being straight virtual. I'm seeing that's really messing with a lot of young kids, elementary, they can't handle it. So I see what you're saying by that virtual meeting. You're able to forgive. You're able to relate to that person when you meet them in person and then go virtual. But if everything is virtual, it's really hard. It's really hard to have that connection. Yeah, I think, and, and especially with, you know, with young kids like that, they need support from the peers as well as each other. Yeah, it sounds really sad. But so I think it's not just the, the connection with the teacher, it's the, the connection that they, and the relationships they build. Mm -hmm. They learn how to communicate by, by talking to kids in the playground. You exactly. Know, when you don't have that same experience online. It's not the same. It's not the same. It's not, and it's very hard right now for a lot of kids to... Mm it's almost like virtual has become the new text message. You know how it's bad to text because emotions don't come through. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I don't want to go. And it's like, well, why do you say it like that? Well, I just, you know, it's perfect writing it out. But virtual has become the new text. The emotions get lost in. 
Although you can see each other facial, but it does get lost. Mm. Yes. Well, I I am really uh, happy today that uh, we talked about such deep uh, issues and, and the dreams and, and uh, the successes so far we had with the content creation. Mm -hmm. And my dream at last is that once this whole epidemic is over, whoever was involved in the Open School of Business and who wants to meet uh, real life, yeah. <laughs> we can have a real life event, okay. uh, a convention for all the speakers and all the um, uh, participants and listeners who want to attend. Mm -hmm. I think that would be a really great, uh, great event uh, and a big celebration yes. for all of us to finally conquer the pandemic and, uh, and meet each other in real life. I think that would be a big blessing. Yes, Sounds like a plan. plan. Yes, it's a plan. Great. Thank you so much. And have a great day, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much.